Hello and welcome to episode 20 of A Wee Bit of Everything with your hosts, Lewis Clellands and Clark Burrow. Again this week on the show, we're absolutely delighted to welcome another special guest. This week on the podcast, we're delighted to welcome Cara Lamb. Cara is a teaching fellow for PE Strathclyde University. She's currently a doctoral student at Strathclyde University as well, which we'll hear more about shortly. Today, Cara is on to talk about the activist approach to teaching PE and how she has used this in the past and what results she has found. We are both really looking forward to this one. Therefore, I think it's about time we get Cara onto the show. Right, Cara, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks, guys. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on today and share your experience of the activist approach and kind of PE as a whole as we move forward into the, the new term. Um, so, we'll straight into the first question then. Can you tell us and the listeners a little background information on your career to date? Okay, well, um, I grew up in Canada, if you're wondering where the kind of funny accent comes from. Um, it's a little bit mixed, but, um, you know, so I did my undergraduate degree there in it was kind of kinesiology. And then I, when I moved over to Scotland in 2004, 2005, I did my PhD at Strathclyde. Um, my NQT year was at school in Easton Bartonshire and then following that I worked at three different Glasgow schools within Glasgow City Council. Um, during kind of all those posts I held kind of acting principal teacher posts in both faculty um, curriculum as well as um, pastoral care. Um, in 2015 I went on a secondment with, with uh, University of Strathclyde as a teaching fellow um, in the physical education program. I then kind of following maternity leave went uh, returned to school for a couple of years which was the absolute best thing for me because I was able to take on a lot of the stuff that I learned throughout my secondment and, and kind of apply that back in school. Um, so it was during my secondment that I first learned about the activist approach and uh, I started my doctoral studies then. And then just this past March, so March 2020, I um, got a permanent post at Strathclyde as a teaching fellow um, coordinating the PGD physical education program. Sounds good. That's a, a kind of broad outline there of your career so far. So would you be able to tell us a bit more about the, the activist approach then that you were speaking about that you were able to uh, adopt in your secondment? Can you tell us yeah. a bit about your experience when you then when you then went back into the school to teach with that activist approach? Because my understanding of it is it's quite similar to the pupil voice pedagogy. Um, but we kind of have that negotiation with, with the, the pupils about the learning. Is there any similarities between um, the activist approach and pupil voice? Yeah, I'd say the kind of whole vision of pupil voice, there, there's certainly some similarities between that. You know, activists work from the belief that knowledge is produced in collaboration with others. So, you know, that word with, you don't, you, you don't find out something by doing something on others, but with others. So the fundamental features of an activist approach, some of the fundamental features, sorry, is that it is student centered and um, it's about listening to respond over time. And that over time is a key message. It's not just a paper exercise that you kind of give a survey out to the pupils at the end of the year. It's constant negotiation. It's constant debriefing, debriefing sorry, with the pupils to see what you're doing. Um, 
so yeah, there's some similarities I would say with kind of the vision for people voice and probably one of my, my bugbears, I suppose, about people voice is that it just, just becomes a tick box exercise that yes, we're doing this because that's what our Higgius Mm -hmm. document tells us to do but what are we actually doing with these messages that pupils are giving us right Kara so could you tell us in more detail a little bit more about the, the model of the activist approach and perhaps how you've like a practical example of how you, you've used this within your own teaching after going back into school okay so the model itself was developed by professor Kim Oliver um, with David Kirk as well um, and Kim basically did all the work for the model over a kind of 25 year period and the models based on her work with girls um, and also the work of some other activist researchers. So I think the model kind of came out in the book that, they, that David and Kim wrote in 2015. Um, the main idea, so every kind of pedagogical model has a main idea, learning aspirations and either critical elements or non-negotiables. So the main idea of the activist approach is that girls learn to value the physically active life. Um, that's developed from the work of Daryl Seedentop. The learning aspiration, so there's a few learning aspirations of the approach, but kind of one of the main ones is that pupils learn to name, critique, negotiate and transform barriers to their physical activity, engagement, enjoyment and learning. So if you think about having um, pupils critique barriers and negotiate how they're going to get around any issues that they may have to participate in physical activity. There's four critical elements on the approach of the approach. These are sometimes referred to as non-negotiables or key features in different models and the activist approach is referred to as critical elements. So the first one is student-centered pedagogy. Um, that's where pupils and teachers construct the curriculum that they're going to be doing. So the curriculum isn't dictated by a teacher or a document, it's, it's co-constructed with the pupils and teachers. Obviously keeping, you know, in Curriculum for Excellence, it, it'll, it'll align to the curriculum that is already been designed for health and well-being, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, second critical element is pedagogies of embodiment. And that's where pupils and teachers co-construct a safe environment uh, for learning. So it's about pupils feeling comfortable in the environment or the space that they're learning in. The next one is inquiry-based education centered in action. And that kind of idea behind that is to help pupils become critical in deconstructing any kind of damaging myths or ideologies, ideologies sorry, that surround physical activity participation or participation in physical education. Um, and the final one, which is kind of the pupil voice piece, is listening to respond over time, which I referred to a little bit earlier. Um, and that's where teachers authorize the pupil voice. They, they kind of drop down that power barrier and allow pupils to have their voice heard at all times. And probably the next thing you want to understand about the approach is that there's two phases of it. The first phase is called building the foundation. Um, and building the foundation, pupils are opened up to what could be possible in physical education. So it consists of a lot of exercises that um, help you understand pupils' motivations and what facilitates and hinders those, but also allows you to do some what we call taster sessions with the pupils. So we get to open them up to a wide variety of different physical activities or sports or whatever it is that's decided. Generally, those taster sessions are actually non-traditional activities, activities that pupils have never really tried before in their normal physical education program. Once you have all that, that the 
building the foundation unit probably takes about 12 weeks to do it's quite a long unit once you've done all that and throughout that whole time you're actually still debriefing with the people negotiating with them finding out how they felt about each taster session and then finally um you move on to a thematic unit so a thematic unit probably a little bit different is where learning is based centered around a theme the theme is co-constructed between the pupils and the teacher um, so it's the learning's based around rather than an activity or a sport it's based around a theme so it could involve doing a number of different activities that all center around one theme so to help you understand a little bit about how I've done this, so I've done this when I was learning to use the approach, I kind of had Kim beside me helping me um, and some other teachers. That was during my secondment. I had one class in my old school that I worked with that was uh, a group of S2 girls who were all disengaged from PE. Um, so I did that in my first year and then I worked with three other teachers the following year and um, they use the approach with different classes. Most of them choose either S3 um, or S4 girls classes. One teacher actually used an S3 boys class. Um, and then when I returned to school back in 2017, I did this approach myself with two classes, an S3 class and an S4 class. And I just kind of followed the model. So an example in building the foundation. So one of the first things that I do is um, ask it's kind of like a, a paper exercise where i ask the girls you know what do you wish pe to be like um what motivates you to try hard in pe what stops you what annoys you in pe um so i find out all these answers to, to a number of questions that i ask them and i probably do about five or six different tasks with them and keep all that information I, it's almost a data gathering exercise using the voices of the pupils to help me understand them as a teacher, what are their barriers to physical activity or, or physical education engagement? And then I did uh, so another. And then once I have all that information and building the foundation, I moved on to the taster sessions. So, for example, this past year, my S four class, I did probably sixteen different taster sessions with them. I did things from like boxer size to yoga to um, football corner games to. Um, fitness type different activities all, all different things but i tried to cater for all the different needs in the class and after each activity i had the pupils kind of fill in a little mini kind of form basically did you like it or didn't you why or why not and what could what, what could be better so for example one of the metafit lessons that i did the metafit kind of fitness type lesson loads of the girls really liked it because and they felt that they worked hard in that but some of the girls hated it. So I needed to understand that there were some, there was all different views within my class. And I also helped them to understand that there's some things that some people like and some things that other people like. So that's kind of how the building the foundation in a, in a nutshell, I suppose, mm. looks like. And you say it's not just girls you can do it with, it's just like, it's like, well, that's where the main, is that where the main, the bulk of the research has been done or is it? Yeah. It is the, totally the bulk of the research. So the model was made for girls in adolescence as well. Yeah. So that kind of for us in Scotland, you know, that kind of S3, S4 year group, although we've tried it with S2s as well. We feel that that kind of where the kind of barriers start to form. Mm -hmm. It's not to say that it can't be done with boys. And the teacher that I, as part of my doctoral study that did this with boys, 
the reason she chose this boys class is it was the, the class that she could never figure out how to work with. There was really dominant boys in the class that seemed to take over. Um, and she really struggled to control their behavior. So she decided to try this approach. However, I'd say it looked really, really different. Mm -hmm. um, and for new teachers, if they wanted to try this out, I would suggest work with girls first, because that's what this approach was used, you know, researched against. That's where all the evidence comes from. And then once you're comfortable, see how it could be adapted to fit other groups. You know, mm -hmm. like any teacher, you kind of survey your class to begin with and you figure out, right, what, what should we, what, what's going to work for them. Maybe the boys maybe used a sport education model, what it might have been better, or a TPSR mm -hmm. model might have been better for them. It just depends on what, you, what you're comfortable using and what you see will work best. And I think that's so, that is, when you go, Clark. No, on you go. That's, that's it. I think that's that. It's um. Oh, what was I going to say there? It's about it's it's just taking the first steps to trying something different, isn't it? And I think that's that's always the hardest thing for me because that's what I did is one for my in my NQT or my practitioner inquiry was on. I tried to do a TGFU and compare it to just a typical traditional model of teaching, just with an S3 class. So we do like the first three. Um, lessons of the block, doing traditional methods, and then the last three, doing TGFU, looking at that like attacking, defending, maintaining possession, all that kind of stuff, and um, just kind of comparing between the two. But I don't know, I, I don't know how well I, how well I did it or how accurate it was. I went through the process, but you know I don't know. And I think it's um, also having someone there to support you through it, just so that you can actually speak to see or someone observing you going through the full thing to see that's really yeah. competent and and delivering it. I think that helps. Absolutely, that's really important. And um, one of the reasons, and, and Clark, you'll know about this, we're starting up a kind of research hub at Strathclyde um, yeah. in the next couple of months. And it's about people who maybe want to try something new, maybe want to try some evidence informed inform practice, but actually aren't sure if they're doing it right. Or And, and it's about bouncing ideas off, off of other people. There's nothing to say what's right or wrong. It's what you find mm. will work. And you're not going to find a solution just like that. I think, yeah. you know, we've got to be careful that we, a model is. It can be a solution, it can be that, but it's about this is the best model used for this particular class because this is what their needs are. Struggling to engage and struggling to participate with, so you're going to try to change something. So it's almost like intervention. The connection's going again, guys. That's all right. Right. All right. Still okay? Right. Yeah. Okay. You said it's unstable. But... So, with the, I, I'm just thinking, uh, would that be able to? use this approach Cara with um, like a national class for example does it have to be like a disengaged group or could, could I use it with a class right from the word go or does it need to be a kind of targeted group? Yeah I think I think it would be a little bit different with a national class because the thing is you're trying to get the performance grades and you're mm -hmm. trying to get their performance levels up on a certain activity whereas with the activists you know the what's the overall learning aspiration? It's about physical, it's about valuing physical activity. Whereas the national class learning aspirations aren't, aren't necessarily that. They're about, you know, evaluating performance and getting better at your performance. Yeah, so can I suit more um, with the BGE then? Yeah, absolutely. And probably I would say core PE for S3s and S4s, um, even S5 and 6s as well. Um, that's for me, particularly when you're starting out with it, I would I would target kind of those areas. That's when you see the most kind of disengagement as well, isn't it? When it gets when they get yeah. that little bit older, they just they start to, they don't see the interest in PE. They think, sometimes think it's a waste of time and yeah. whether it's getting them into good habits and valuing a, an active lifestyle. 
Yeah. And I suppose the difference with, you know, using this type of model with an S, you know, an S4 core class, what happens in an S4 core class, occasionally we, we forget about the learning that can occur during that time and it's just about participating. So this actually helps learning accompany the participating that you want to achieve, helps increase the participation and engagement, but also what are they learning here as well? So you did mention it there about the, the kind of overarching goal to the activist approach um, as the students being able to value a, phys a physically active life. Do you, how well do you feel, feel that you achieved this goal and how, how long did it take you to do it or like to carry so, out your full project? Yeah, so the kind of, a, when I, it's like I'm teaching a class for a whole year using this approach, but I think when you add the word value into that, it's actually quite hard to measure that. I think we would yeah. need to do a longitudinal study to find that out. Could I be confident in saying that almost all the girls that we work with preferred that approach to the multi-activity approach? Yeah, I would say so, because we, I interviewed a lot of girls, probably over 120 girls over the course of, of that time. Um, but valuing, I don't know if I could confidently say that because I can't really me put a measurement to that. Um, it's probably a long-term thing. Did I open up the possibilities to what is possible in physical education? Yes. How do I know how to how they've taken that on? Not necessarily. That's something that maybe we can try to think about doing in the future. Yeah, it's hard. To, like you say, it's hard to, to measure that. It's, you can see it, and if you if you're noticing like the participation rates and the engagement and motivation and stuff in your class, then that's obviously a step in the right direction. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's, hard, it's hard to measure the feelings and attitudes and thoughts, isn't it? Because it's so subjective. It comes from every individual. Um, yeah. I know in my project I was doing with the growth mindset and metacognition and how that impacted on pupil learning. Yeah. It was always sort of semi-structured interviews and focus groups. That I had That was the route I had to go down the qualitative uh, side of it, uh, which I quite enjoy, but as you say, it's hard to kind of give it an objective measurement. Yeah, and I think that's maybe something we need to maybe think about in the future is, is kind of, a, my, my study is completely qualitative. Um, so it is based on interviews and focus groups. Um, but, you know, could we use uh, the kind of quantitative data from self-determination theory or something like that to help? Because that's about, all about motivation. Um, mm. and, and that could be something that, that's in the future. You know, this is, approach is, a, is a, a new model. It's something that's coming out. It's not heavily researched yet. We're starting mm -hmm. to, to move in the right direction within, with a few different researchers across the world kind of getting involved in this. Sounds like we're making progress then. Um, so we've spoke about, so we've got the activist approach, we would use the BGE class, um, trying to stay, stay away from national five classes, trying to re-engage, disengage groups yeah. um, through listening and responding over time. Um, so my question would probably be, can anyone use it? Like any, uh, any teacher or could you have like teaching assistants working with you, people support staff, would they all be involved in the process as well? Um, I, I suppose they can help. Um, you know, in terms of speaking to pupils and understanding their opinion, because one of the one of the fundamentals behind the activist approach is pupils sometimes tell you superficially what you want to hear. So, for example, why aren't you taking part? Because I forgot my kit or because I have this or because I have that. And it's an excuse. But what's actually behind that excuse? Sometimes people might tell you a reason that's not a real reason. It could be that actually I feel really uncomfortable right but they're not going to tell you that because they're maybe embarrassed to say that so you have to really develop the relationship with them um, and that takes time 
You can't just go in and ask people a question and expect to get an honest answer. Everything takes time. So yeah, if you have a, a another member of staff that you know knows people's quite well, absolutely, it's good to get you know people on board. Um, you know, it, it, it needs to be used by a teacher. What I would say is I haven't had a male teacher use this approach yet. Do I know if males can do it the same as female as female teachers? I'm not sure because I haven't had a male take on this approach himself. Yeah, so a male's not had, a, we just haven't had a, a male's part of our state. I, I don't think that necessarily means that they can't use the, the approach, but uh, we've had female teachers use this approach with, with girls' classes, or a female teacher used it with a boys' class once. Um, and as I said, it looked a little bit different. So, yeah, can anyone use it? Of course. You, you need to be willing to work differently, and you need to be willing to move away from the status quo, away from more traditional methods. Mm -hmm. If anyone is willing to do that, then I think that yes, anyone could use it. Mm. I think it's so important that you spoke about the relationships and so the pupils open up to the teacher as well. That takes time, doesn't it, as you say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say to all my student teachers, like one of the first things they try to do when they're out on placement is try to build relationships and get to know their pupils. But then they're on placement for six to eight weeks. And that's not really a long enough time to really get to know them. It takes a long yeah. time to build that up with pupils. It takes a long time. And sometimes you have a class for one year and then you never see some of these pupils again. But this approach helps you develop those relationships maybe a little bit quicker because you're starting off with the questions. You're starting off with what annoys you about PE or what do you really like about PE? What could mm -hmm. we do differently? So you're starting off saying, do you know what? I want to know how you feel. I want to know how a 15-year-old girl living in today's context feels. Maybe I've been a 15-year-old girl once before, but it's not the same as this, mm -hmm. what these girls are experiencing right now. And every girl in your class is going to be different. So it's about saying, I want to get to know you. I want to hear what you have to say. Um, and it's, it's amazing how very quickly things begin to change just by you taking, you know, authorizing that pupil voice. Put, uh, putting down that power barrier. Yes, I'm. You're still your teachers, you know. Mm -hmm. But let's talk. Let's let's find this some stuff out and let's think of a solution together. Yeah, like I think that. for this, I think for this approach to work, then it sounds as if the teacher really needs to reflect and change their practice and how they work with others and interact with the pupils. So, yeah. well, that's a Absolutely. big step out of the comfort zone. Absolutely, and it's about being willing to do that. I would say that if you wanted to just find a solution and then not be willing to do that, then you're not the right person to take this approach forward. Um, but if you are willing to, you know, drop down some power barriers a little bit and, and listen to what they really feel, then yeah, of course, I think that will only be helpful. Sounds good. Kara, uh, so lastly, in your opinion, what makes a high quality teacher or... I suppose I could also ask what makes a high quality student teacher for in terms of your role. So if you can kind of split that up into two there, I'm sure yeah. they're both crossover. Yeah, well, it's funny. I was reading, I think it was a thread on Twitter the other night, and somebody had said something about always being willing to take on a beginner's mindset in teaching. So whatever stage that you're at in your career, you're always able to go back to say, all oh, right, I don't know anything about this class. I don't know anything about this context, 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 sorry. So I suppose, you know, this is for any teacher, student teacher or, or, or beyond, um, willing to move beyond that kind of what, do what you've always done. I always kind of make that, make that kind of reference to myself, whereas I kind of 
you know, did what I did what I did and, tried to, and did it pretty well, but then thought, was this good enough? And could I do better? And am I meeting the needs? And probably the second thing, and this goes along with probably much of what I've been saying today is, you know, someone who really listens to their pupils and understands what motivates them to do well. Um, and regardless of that, if, if you're able to do that and be passionate about that and be able to take that forward, I think you'll have every kind of success in your career. Yeah, absolutely wonderful advice. Um, I'm sure that will help a lot of teachers listening and certainly have resonated with me about that yeah. beginner's mindset. And I suppose if you always have that mindset, then you'll always be willing and open-minded to new approaches like that to best approach. And then yeah. you'll always be willing to try new things and learn. That's the most yeah, important thing. Keeps it fresh as well, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It keeps your job more enjoyable. Once you, you yeah, know. absolutely. Because... You know, you can get mundane. I, I wrote um, I wrote a little piece three or four years ago for the SAP PE Journal, and I entitled it um, something like the seven the seven year itch. And it's about kind of you know how they say in, in in marriage when you've been with someone for seven years, the the romance goes away, etc. Um, and it's it, it for me, it's kind of the same thing when you're teaching. So it's like you get seven years into your career, and this was exactly kind of I felt like what happened with me, and I thought. I'm just doing the same lessons over and over and over again. The content changed a little bit, but I felt like I wasn't fresh. I felt like I needed to make a change. Um, and I think that's really, really important. Yeah, yeah I think, as you say, you need to have a variety to it and you need to make sure that you're changing up all the time. It's for the benefit of the kids at the end of the day and for yeah. your own sanity as well. Yes, of mm -hmm. course. <laughs> Right, Cara, so with all our podcasts, we finish with a quick fire round of three questions. So short, sharp um, questions and some just a quick answer for it. So, okay. number one, if you could have a giant billboard in your hometown or anywhere in the world, what would it say on it? Um, the Canadian in Scotland who is the voice of teenage girls. <laughs> Love that. Love that. <laughs> Can't think right. of anything better than that. That's, that's all good. That's good. Number two, what book or books have had the greatest influence on your life? Okay, well, my life has been consumed with toddler books recently. <laughs> but, uh, one book I probably always came back to is The Diary of Anne Frank. Um, I, I'm really interested in that. And I think it, the messages behind that really resonate with young people today still. And it, mm -hmm. particularly teenage girls, I would say, as well. Brilliant. Question three, what advice would you give to a student teacher about to enter the working world or what would or what advice should they ignore? Well, I don't think they should ignore any advice. I think they should <laughs> always take any all advice on board. However, I think they should be critical about it and see if they can take anything from it that they could apply because you will disagree with people and that's okay. Yeah. Um, mm. But be critical about advice. And probably the biggest advice I would have, you know, a lot of what I've probably been saying this whole podcast is, you know, always reflect on what you've done and, and could it be any better? Don't be afraid to ask pupils for advice. And also, don't be too hard on yourself. Perfect lessons are few and far between. So don't yeah. expect perfection and be happy with being a good teacher. Yeah. 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 yeah that would give everyone a lot of confidence. Um, yeah, thanks. Do the best. I can resonate with that. I was. Uh, I feel like I'm still. I'm very hard on myself. Like if I have like a bad lesson or something, it just it eats away at me, and I'm just like, I just need to like let it go. Switch let it off. go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we, all, we, 
we all have them. We all have bad lessons all the time, no matter how long you've been teaching. And mm -hmm. it's about walking away from that and going, you know what? What could I have done to make that not so hard? You know those lessons where you're just fighting to get to the end? Yeah. Everybody has them. Everybody has them and you yeah. just want the lesson to end. But you know what? Put, pupils will forget that lesson. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. you that holds on to it. Pupils will forget yeah. it. So let go of it. Move on. Do it better next time. You're almost yeah, getting to the end of the lesson. They're like, I'm not going to do that again anytime soon. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but what did you learn from it? So there you yeah, go. Yeah, that's it. Ask yourself the questions. Yeah. Well, thanks again for agreeing to do this with us today, Cara. I really do appreciate your time and we hope that this, the, the information that you gave about that first approach helps the next generation of teachers and current teachers as well who listen to the podcast. So thanks very much. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for Thanks having me. I enjoyed that, my first podcast. So thank you very much for inviting me on, guys. And, uh, no, no bother. That was, um, yeah, that was really good. Thanks. Appreciate Great. your time. So as always, at the end of our podcast, we always have a takeaway message um, from the host. So we'll start with you, Clark. What was your takeaway message from today's very insightful and interesting episode? I think it was just good to hear Cara's approach to using the activist approach. Sorry to use that word twice. Um, but I mean, the the key tenets of it are obviously very similar to the the people voice method, isn't it? It's where you need to listen to the, the people's views and actually act on them. Now, I think that's something that we maybe need to do more of as a that's something that I certainly need to do of more of. I need to speak speak for myself first before I speak about anybody else. Um, it's really important that we actually act on the views and the opinions of the pupils and make sure that we take meaningful steps to. Um, addressing their needs and that needs to be done on a more consistent and frequent basis uh, not just every at the end of every block it should be getting done every lesson it should be getting done at the end of the lesson you know having these conversations with people at the end whether it's walking back to the changing room or whether it's just doing it during a game or during a drill you know having having conversations with people about what they think the learning should look like because ultimately it's them that's learning and it's them, it's their school and it's their class. So I think it, that's, what I took, that's what I took from the approach. Yeah, so that would be my key take, take my message from today's episode with Cara. What would yours be, Lewis? My key take my message would be with regards to this approach, actually, or like any approach, it takes time to do it rather than just being a ticky box exercise and expecting results straight away. You need to be patient with it. It's an ongoing process and you need to just... Um, keep going with it till you till you see the results and I think that's the same if you're trying to change like behavior in your class or it takes time to embed new um, policies or whatever it is you're trying to do into your school or your class it's it's about being patient yeah, and tr trusting the process and um, I reflecting on it on, a, on an ongoing basis um, but no that's it sometimes if we don't see instant results then we maybe fall away from it I'm guilty of doing that myself I don't see immediate results then, oh, it's not working, but that's not the case. I know, and the thing is, oh, it's like we're very guilty of the kids telling the kids that they need to work at it, but if you're not doing it and you're not modelling it, how can we expect them yep, to be doing exactly. it? So Being patient, as you said. I think that was a, a lovely way to finish off today's episode. And um, I also love the bit of advice that Cara gave with, on, with regards to taking on a beginner's mindset. I think that's important with everything that you do. If you take on the mindset yeah. of a beginner, then you're um, keeping your practice fresh. You're keeping everything that you do do fresh because you always want to learn and get better. Yeah, so it's a nice, absolutely. A nice, a nice way of putting it. Nice way to round it up.
As always, if you see it on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, we would really appreciate it if you could give us a share or a retweet as this helps us to get the podcast out there so others can listen as well. Until next week, we hope you have a really good week and take care.